open the word for us. Catching that song, how references when the when my end draws near. It's always difficult to sing that song, and it seems like we do it often. Obviously, we don't know when people are going to pass away, but it seems like we sing that song around the time people pass away. And uh, we want to be especially remembering the Gridley family this morning as they work through the homegoing of Gertrude. I know also that uh, Kevin Allen and his family is the coming up on anniversary of the passing of uh, Tiffany's brother. Um, so you can pray for them as they work through that as well. Of course, as a nation, uh, we are working through the 20th anniversary of that horrible event known as 9-11. Uh, you'll notice the title of our message this morning is Never Forget. Uh, yesterday was Patriot Day. Um, and we, don't, we want to make sure that as a nation, as a people, we remember that day. Uh, not for the death of so many people, but for the fact that as a nation, we responded, we handled that in the way we should handle that, uh, and we grew together as a nation. 20th anniversary, I, I mean, can you, it's hard to believe that it was 20 years ago, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like it was not that long ago. So I decided this morning that I would take a break from First Peter, the study that we just started last week, um, and we would focus our thoughts this morning on the idea of never forgetting. And I, and I want to think about remembering Patriot Day and what it stands for and what it's all about. We will pick up our series next week in First Peter. We'll review a little bit about election, uh, and then we will move on into the rest of that amazing first chapter there in First Peter. But I want us to, to pause and think about our, our citizenship, okay? And, and when I say citizenship, I want you to remember that we are citizens, obviously, of the United States of America, but that's not our only citizenship, right? Our citizenship, we talked about this as we concluded our study in the book of Philippians. We'll, we'll hit there a little bit uh, again this morning. But our citizenship is in heaven. We are not of this world. Uh, we, are, we are certainly pilgrims that are passing through. So we know the history of Patriot Day, right? It's, it's a new holiday. I mean, it hasn't been a holiday that's been on the calendar for that many years, 20 years, in fact. Um, uh, you'll remember the promise that we made on that historic day back in 2001. What was the promise? We will never forget. I think I've told you before that on the door to uh, my ninth grade history class, uh, there was our ninth grade history teacher made every student in the class and he uh, do a, a project. It was it was a handcrafted project of some sort, not just a paper, not just a, a test, but it had to be a physical representation of what you were learning in ninth grade history. Okay, and somebody at one point in time made a. Uh, a thing for the door of our history class as we walked in every day we saw it and I saw it every day as I walked into homeroom because that was my homeroom class as well um, but there was a, a, a scroll kind of rolled up partway rolled up uh, and on the scroll it said those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it 
Okay, uh, that's why we promise to never forget, to remember the things that we learned from our past and not have to go through them again. It's so important for us to learn from the past, okay? We don't want to have to repeat again and again and again the same mistakes that we've made. So to help us remember what we are not forgetting, uh, I want to read the proclamation that was made uh, to put to bring Patriots Day into existence and to make it an annual holiday. President George W. Bush read this. In memory of the victims and heroes of September 11, 2001, terrorist attacks against the United States, President George Bush has proclaimed that September 11, 2002 be observed as Patriot Day. The following is the text of the Patriot Day proclamation on, his, on this first observance of Patriot Day. We remember and honor those who perished in the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001. We will not forget how the events of that terrible morning, nor will we forget how Americans responded in New York City, at the Pentagon, or in the skies over Pennsylvania, with heroism and selflessness, with compassion and courage, and with prayer and hope. We will always remember our collective obligation to ensure that justice is done, that freedom prevails, and that the principles upon which our nation was founded endure. Inspired by the heroic sacrifices of our firefighters, rescue and law enforcement personnel, military service members, and other citizens, our nation found unity, focus, and strength. We found healing in the national outpouring of compassion for those lost as tens of millions of Americans participated in moments of silence, candlelight vigils, and religious services. From the tragedy of September 11th emerged a stronger nation, renewed by a spirit of national pride and true love of country. Those whom we lost on September 11th will forever hold a cherished place in our hearts and in the history of our nation. As we mark the first anniversary of that tragic day, we remember their sacrifice and we commit ourselves to honoring their memory by pursuing peace and justice in the world and security at home. By a joint resolution approved December 18, 2001, Public Law 107-89, the Congress has authorized and requested the President to designate September 11th of each year as Patriot Day. So we celebrated that last year, or last week, yesterday, man, i got to get my days right. We celebrated that yesterday, and uh, I don't know about you, but I spent some time watching the news uh, and and reminding myself of what happened. Learned some new things yesterday, uh, like the the, the phone calls of of people that were answered and and responded to. I'd never heard those before, Uh, and there was a a discovery of a box that uh, recorded all of the phone calls on that day. Uh, they went out of out from the World Trade Centers. Wow, moving and stirring things that were said in those phone calls. So as we celebrate Patriot Day, it's it's the it's one of the newest holidays. Maybe I should say one of the newest holidays with meaning uh, that we celebrate in our country. Uh, It's a very important holiday and one that should challenge us to live in light of America's heritage, a people who love their country and love the God who made their country great. Make no mistake about it, America is a great country because of the God of the Bible, because our founding fathers had the foresight and the, and, the, and the desire to found our nation on biblical principles. Does that mean every founding father was a believer? Probably not. 
but at least they had a respect for the word of God and wanted to, to start a nation based on those principles. Let me talk to you for a minute about what a patriot is. By definition, a patriot is a person who loves, supports, and defends his or her country and its interests with devotion. What are the interests of America? What are the ideals of America? What was America founded on? Don't ever forget that America was founded on the ideal of freedom. People left other places in the world and came here for a fresh start on freedom where people could do what they believed God would have them to do. And God was at the center of it, okay? So when we think about patriots, it's not about football teams, right? All of you Bills fans, it's not about football teams. It's about people who love their country, but love the country that God started here in 1776. I remember when I was sitting in a missions anthropology class at Baptist Bible College, and uh, our teacher, Mrs. Trott, was talking about how we had to um, love the country we were going to serve in, and we had to uh, adopt their ways and adopt their policies as long as they didn't contradict biblical values. Um, and, and it was almost like she was saying we had to kind of not think too much about the country we came from, but focus on the country we were serving in. So I raised my hand and I said, hey, I love America and I'm pretty patriotic. What does that mean? Do we have to turn our back on it? No, absolutely not. I said, oh, that's a good thing. Um, you know, a patriot loves their country. But can I remind you that as much as we love America and we are thankful that God has placed us here in this country, that this is not the most important place for us. As people who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the most important place, the place where our citizenship is held, is in heaven. It's in glory. So we're going to jump around to a couple of texts this morning. I know it's not my normal style, but uh, I thought on today we would do it anyway. We're starting off in Philippians where we uh, finished a couple of weeks ago, Philippians chapter 3. So if you would, uh, take your copy of the scriptures and open to Philippians chapter 3. Just a couple of verses here. I want us to learn from this verse, these two verses that the country of our loyalty, the country of our loyalty. We are loyal Americans, Right? We love America, we love the freedoms, we love what it represents, but listen to this, Paul writes this, and by the way, Paul was a Roman citizen, okay, and at the time, Rome was the most powerful nation in the world, and Paul was, was very thankful and very proud of his Rome uh, citizenship, he used it on several occasions to protect himself and get himself out of trouble, um, but listen to this, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our citizenship, my friends, is in heaven. What a great reminder that is. What a, what, a, what, a, 
what a fact, what a truth that we cling to. So that first point there in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, reminds us of the country of our loyalty. Where are you from? When somebody asks you, where are you from? Boy, that was a question we got all the time in South Africa. Uh, we, because, you know, when you, whenever we opened our mouth, people knew that we weren't South African. We didn't speak Afrikaans. We didn't speak one of the 11 tribal languages. We, we, we didn't even speak the English that they spoke. We spoke American, okay? And our accents uh, told everybody that. So you went out for dinner on a, on, a, on, a, on a night at a restaurant, and, and the waitress inevitably would say, you're from America, aren't you? Well, yes, we are. You sound like you're on TV. Well, of course, all the actresses and actors are from, TV, uh, from America, right? Most of them. You sound like you, you, you're on TV. No, we're not on TV. Um, uh, well, you know what? We want to go visit America someday. And it was, it was funny to listen to them tell us, uh, so where are you going to go visit? Well, we're going to go visit the Statue of Liberty, and we're going to visit Mount Rushmore, and we're going to visit the Grand Canyon, and we're going to visit you know, these other historic places. And how long are you going to be in America? A week. Exactly. Yeah, people don't understand the vastness and where all those different places are, okay? Um, but you see, even though we were Americans, that's not our citizenship. Even though we love this country, our citizenship is in heaven. We should be loyal to heaven and to the God of heaven and to the things of heaven. And we should long for that place. Gertrude beat us all there. Happy for her to be in the presence of her Savior. Sad for us because we're going to miss her. But boy, oh boy, she doesn't want to come back. I can tell you that. GG the same way, right? Yeah. They love being home. That's where they are. God called them home. And Paul says, who will transform this lowly body that it may be conformed to the, according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things. You and I, as patriots of heaven, the patriot citizenship reminds us that we are not of this world. We are, we are simply strangers passing through. We are representing the place that we are really from, and that place is heaven. One of the things that compels a patriot is love of country. Do you love heaven do you love heaven as much as you love the USA? That's a tough question, isn't it? Because we're sometimes so focused on where we are right here, right now, and how thankful we are to be in, let's face it, what we consider to be the greatest country in the world. But we should love heaven even more because that's where our citizenship is. So the, the, the thing that compels a patriot to, uh, to, to, to be a patriot is love of country. Kevin? Yeah, because we're, what is heaven for us? Heaven is our eternal home. Speaking of songs, back in the 80s, Bob Hartman wrote a song that reminds us as Christians where we are from, as well as how we are to live in the place of our sojourn. These are the words to that song. 
We are pilgrims in a strange land. We are so far from our homeland. With each passing day, it seems so clear this world will never want us here. We're not welcome in this world of wrong. We are foreigners who don't belong. We are strangers. We are aliens. And we are not of this world. We are envoys. We must tarry. With this message, we must carry. There's so much to do before we leave. With so many more who may believe, our mission here can never fail. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus told us men would hate us, but we, we, would mu- but we must be of good cheer. He has overcome this world of darkness, and we will soon depart from here. Wow. We're not of this world. So as we think about the patriots' citizenship, help us let us remember that we are on our way back to heaven where we came from. We also understand that we can only be citizens and we can live the way we ought to be citizens of heaven because of the champion of heaven. Who's the champion of heaven? Well, Jesus Christ is that champion. When we think of a patriot, we think of a fighter, we think of a warrior. He's often the champion. Remember David and Goliath? How was Goliath described in the pages of Scripture? He was the champion of the Philistines. They had their faith. They had their hope. They had everything built upon Goliath because Goliath never lost a battle. So their champion went out and he challenged the Israelites. And it wasn't until David got there and he heard this champion of the Philistines shoot off at the mouth of, and run down the God of the Israelites. And David said, who does this guy think he is? Who is this guy? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God is the God that we live for, the God that we honor, the God that we fight for, the God that we put first in our lives. Our God will deliver this uncircumcised dog into our hands. The Philistines had their champion. As Christians, we have a champion. And you know who that champion is. That champion is none other than Jesus Christ. He's the one who left heaven's glory to wage war on Satan. And not just to wage war, but to have the victory over Satan. We take our training from Jesus Christ, who is not only our Savior, but he is indeed heaven's champion. How do we know that? Well, he came down to earth from heaven, and he waged a war. What was that war all about? It was the combat against sin. Jesus came down to combat and win the victory over sin. Ever since Adam sinned in the garden, a battle has been raging it's a battle against sin. Paul instructs us over in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, what our greatest resource is in this combat against sin. Paul writes these words, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Strong in the Lord and in the power of his Those sound like fighting words, don't they? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Do this, though. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers and the spiritual darkness of this world, 
against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Can I tell you something? We are in the evil day. If Paul thought he was in the evil day, we're so much closer to the return of Jesus and the days are so much more evil. But we knew that would happen. Jude wrote, things are getting worse and worse. Every day, every day, things are getting worse and worse. So the battle is against sin. We also see the conqueror of sin. Not just the combat against sin, but the conqueror of sin. God the Father promised that Satan would be defeated right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. You remember that promise, right? God told Eve that she would have a child and that that child would crush the head of Satan. God promised that sin and Satan would be defeated. You, want, you think the battle in Afghanistan has been long? It's been 20 years? The battle against sin has been since the, 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 the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, we've been in a battle. And that war has been a war against sin. But you know what? That war was defeated. That war was won. Because when Jesus hung on the cross and he took the sin of mankind in his body, on his body, and he cried out to his father, it is finished. Victory was won on that day. And you and I need to live in light of that victory. We need to realize and remember that yes, Jesus conquered sin. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated Satan. In John chapter 19, verse 30, it's perhaps one of the greatest verses in all of the gospel, if we can say something like that. John wrote this, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, and I already said this, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, that would have been the saddest day in humanity had Jesus stayed there dead. However, he didn't. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Three days later, he was alive. He met with his disciples. He challenged his disciples. He, in his resurrection from the dead, defeated all of Satan's hopes and dreams and plans against God. Jesus guaranteed for us victory. There's a great song that depicts the fact that Jesus is indeed heaven's champion. Let me read the words for you. I don't know if you like, uh, like country-style Christian music, uh, but there's a group, well, it's not together anymore, but it used to be called the Old Friends Quartet. Uh, Ernie Haas started the group. Um, George Yance was the bass singer. Man, if you want to hear bass singing, you, you need to listen to him sing. Okay? Um, there, there was a great group of people that sang in that quartet. But here's the words to that song. Champion of love. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention. I want to introduce to you in this corner of the good and the right stands a champion robed in white. His height exceeds the heavens. His weight outweighs the world. His reach is, reaches everywhere. His age is evermore. He is, the high, he is higher than the highest. He's greater than the great. 
No one will ever take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. He left his hometown to enter this arena, to raise his hands in victory over sin. An angry crowd crucified this king who wore their crown as they gladly watched the champion going down. Oh, but I'll never count him out, for I'm a witness of the day he rose to reclaim his title, champion of love. He is higher than the highest, greater than the great. No one will ever take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He is higher than the highest. He's greater than the great. No one will ever take his crown away. He's more mighty than the mightiest. He reigns from above. He's the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion of love. Jesus is the conqueror of sin. And you and I reap the benefits of that victory on the cross of Calvary. Praise God for Jesus and his work there on our behalf. As we think about these things, the, the, the champion of heaven and the patriot citizenship, let us also remember that the end result of the citizenship for the child of God is so amazing. It's so uh, incredible. It's out of this world. The one who will change our bodies. As a, champ, as a, as a patriot of heaven, we're going home. And when we go home, our bodies will be changed. You know, as, as Americans, we honor those who sacrifice the greatest thing that they can sacrifice, and that's life. And we also honor those who sacrifice their limbs, their bodies. Many times a patriot comes back, their body is damaged. It's mangled. They can't go on doing life normally, so they have to learn and adjust Wouldn't it be great if every patriot came back and we could fix them up like nothing ever happened to them? You know what? When we go to heaven, that's what's going to happen. Our bodies are ravaged by sin. Our bodies are damaged and defected because of sin. But the moment we leave this world and we enter into heaven's shores, our bodies will be changed. Paul says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when we see Jesus, what a glorious day that will be. Gertrude's not suffering anymore. Suffering's all gone. She's met Jesus. And what a glorious time it is for her. I so wish that we could fix our military heroes that come back. We, there's a lot of great, great groups out there that try to make, help them make the adjustments, provide homes for them that are, are made specifically for them to meet their needs because they can't just walk in the door of their home like you and I do. They gave up so much. And we're thankful for those organizations that help them adjust to the new life when they come home. But I'm so thankful that when I go home to see my Jesus, nothing like it. Nothing like it. The effects of sin will be gone. 
will get a new body. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. I, I mentioned just one phrase of it, but listen, verses 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. If you got excited about what George Yance sang, the champion of, of love, listen to the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 50 through 57. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. What's our response to that? Hallelujah! And Paul goes on to say, and this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Oh, can it be any better? Yes, it can. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death! Where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? In other words, Paul is saying there is no sting in death. There is no victory for Hades. And then he says in verse 55 or verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Oh, we'd be sad if it stopped there. But there's that word in verse 57. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, to the champion of love, for the champion of heaven, who gives us the victory. We'll talk a little bit about this hope in a a few, few minutes, but let's remind ourselves that you and I have an amazing hope because our bodies will be changed when we reach our home in heaven and we are restored to that heavenly citizenship. We've also looked at, or we're gonna look at this here in the, in the very, few, very near future and that's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, verse 11 where we see our conduct as patriots. Our conduct as patriots. How should a patriot really live and conduct his life. Peter says this in verse 11 of chapter 2. Beloved, I beg you, I implore you, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. We see in this verse our conduct, how you and I should live as patriots of heaven. We see, first of all, the demand on the patriot. Peter says this, don't give in to the carnal desires. That's tough. Isn't it? It's tough to not give in to the things that are all around us. But he says, abstain from fleshly lusts. That word abstain, it means to hold away from oneself. In other words, we are to keep fleshly lusts away from ourselves. Push them back. Get as far away from them as we can. Don't indulge in the sinful desires that draw our focus away from the war we are engaged in. When you're in a battle, when you're, on, when you're uh, deployed to the battlefield, you don't let anything 
except the battle cross your mind. You are focused on winning that battle, that war. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. As a soldier, as a citizen, as a patriot, we must remind ourselves to continually abstain from that which draws us away from what we've been called to do, and that's to live an honorable life glorifying our great God. We also see another demand on the patriot. Peter, or I'm sorry, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, or Peter says, actually, it is Peter, beware of the adversary. Beware of the adversary who wars against the soul. You know what Peter's saying here? He's saying, Satan is out to destroy you. We've talked about 9-11. What was the goal of the terrorists on that day? To destroy America. That's what they wanted but they failed. They were not successful at that. Satan wants the same goal. He wants to destroy you and I as followers of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it'll be a little bit longer, but we'll eventually get to this verse as well, where Peter writes, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In verse 9, he says, resist him. How, Peter, how do I resist him? By standing fast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary is on the prowl. Satan wants to devour you, to destroy you as a patriot. But if we stand fast, in the faith, in the word of God, we will be able to withstand, as Paul said, the attacks of the evil one. Well, let's move on from the demand on the patriot to the demeanor of the patriot. What should my thought process be? What should my mindset be? What should, how should I live my life? He goes on to say, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. What does he mean by honorable conduct? Well, in the military, correct me if I'm wrong, Joseph, but in the military, they demand honor and respect. Why? Because you are representing the country of America. You need to be an honorable citizen, an honorable soldier, and you must abide by the rules of engagement. Yes, there are rules for war, believe it or not. Some people don't play by them, but they're supposed to be observed. As a soldier, you must have honorable conduct. As a citizen of heaven, as a patriot of heaven, we too are required to have honorable conduct. The word honorable here means excellent. The idea that Peter wanted to communicate here was that our character should be attractive to unbelievers. Our Christianity should be something that the unsaved people see and want in their lives like we have it in our lives. Conduct must be exemplary. When we work, when we engage with others, they should know that we're Christians 
And by the things that we say, the things that we do, the, the words that we express should be different from theirs. As a Christian, we shouldn't use the language of the world, those curse words, those swear words, those, those words that the world lives by and uses every day. And you know what? Sometimes they don't even know that they're talking that way. It's become a way of life in our deacons meeting the night. Paul said, I'm a, I, I'm a sailor, so I've heard it all. He doesn't repeat it, but he's heard it all. Okay? You know, people talk about a mouth. You know, that guy has a mouth of a sailor. What does that mean? It means he curses, he swears, he cusses, and, and whatever else, whatever other words you can use. As a child of God, our speech shouldn't contain those words. Pastor, that's hard. Well, that's, that's why Peter says abstain from fleshly lusts. Our conduct should be honorable. Our speech should not be, well, our speech actually should betray us. Remember when Peter uh, followed Jesus into the, the area where he's going to be tried? And he was warming his hands by the fire. And, and the girl says, your speech betrays you. First, that he was a Galilean, probably, but probably he wasn't talking like the rest of this. And so what did he begin to do? He began to talk like one of them. He began to curse. He began to swear. So he wasn't identifiable as a follower of Jesus. And he regrets that. I mean, the scriptures are full of that. You and I, our speech should not be like the rest of the world. The things that we put on Facebook shouldn't be those swearing kinds of words and suggestive kind of things that might let other people think that we enjoy that kind of a lifestyle. Because we shouldn't. We must have honorable conduct. Another part of the demeanor of a patriot is to have holy living. The good works that we do are to demonstrate our great God to others. Our life should cause others to see their need of a relationship with the Savior. Jesus put it this way over in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, when you and I use language that we shouldn't use, do things that we shouldn't do, go places that we shouldn't go, you know what it does? It smudges the light. We had a lady in our church in South Africa who worked for the company that was in control of the lighthouses up and down the coast. And it was very important to have lighthouses in the Cape Town area because of the rocky coast. I mean, you could drive along this, the coast of, of, of South Africa and see all of these ships that had run aground and, and ships that are just rusty parts sticking up out of the water. They call it the Cape of Storms, okay? And you know what one of the responsibilities of, of the, the, that government body that 
was in charge of the lighthouses, they had to clean the lighthouses. They had to clean the mirrors and the lamps and all that kind of stuff so that the light would go brightly out into the sea. The lighthouse was shouting out, don't come too close. There's danger here. If you get too close, your ship will sink. Our light must shine brightly. Our light must say to others, hey, be careful. You're in danger. Listen to the message. Listen to the good news. Listen to the truth that sets you free. We can't be shouting out the good news if our lights are dirty because we live like the world. That's really what Jesus is saying. What a thrill and what a privilege you and I have when we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody else. It's even greater when God allows us the privilege of leading someone to Christ. And we see their light begin to shine and begin to bring glory to our great God. That's why it's important for us to keep our light clean and live our lives the way we ought to live. Well, another thing that marks patriots is their courage. So we want to see the courage of patriots Turn back to the Gospel of John with me, if you would. John chapter 15, verses, eight, 15, verses 18 through 21. John 15, 18 through 21. And then verse 26. And then chapter 16, verse 33. You can follow along, or you can just listen as I read. The courage of patriots. You and I need to be courageous people, not because of our own nature or character, but because of our great champion of heaven. Jesus says this, John 15, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Then verse 26, but when the helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Verse 33 of John chapter 16. So how does this help us? Well, it helps us by reminding us this, that a patriot must have the right perspective. A patriot must have the right perspective. You see, Jesus gave his disciples and those who would follow him afterwards Fair warning, those outside of Christ, those in the world would hate the followers of Christ. Why? Because they hated Christ. A lot of people hate Americans. Why? Because they hate the ideals on which America was founded. They don't like the the privilege that we have to pursue freedom. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, 
we will be hated. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the farther we get from the death of Christ on the cross, the more Christians are going to be disliked, less tolerated, not appreciated. I don't know if it's worth it. (laughs) You better believe it's worth it. Because our citizenship as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is in heaven. So that helps us with our perspective. We know that as followers of Jesus, we can expect that same kind of persecution that Jesus faced. As Jesus was hated, we're likely to be hated as well. We also see in this passage of Scripture that a patriot has the blessing of the promise. We like promises, don't we? When people make a promise to us, we expect them to keep the promise. Well, Jesus made a promise. And guess what? If Jesus makes a promise, he always keeps the promise. What is the promise that Jesus made here? Well, the promise he made is that he would send the Holy Spirit. He would send the Comforter. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to return to heaven so that he could send the comforter from the Father to his followers. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, Jesus talking here, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus had just said something about going back to the Father. No, no, no. We don't want you to go back to the Father. We want you to stay right here. We've got it so good with you here. And Jesus says, no, it's to your advantage that I return. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whoever he hears But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Who is the Spirit listening to? Who is the Spirit receiving cues from? None other than the Father. He will tell us what the Father wants us to know. Wow. How does he do that? Through the pages of Scripture. As we feed our minds with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit takes that and translates it into something that we can understand, we can know, and we can do. We have the blessing of the promise as a patriot, as a citizen of heaven. And then we also have this, we have the hope of peace. As a patriot, we have the hope of peace. And we might say, Pastor, my life's not very peaceful at the moment. Well, it is, it can be anyway. Because we know where we're going. No matter the turmoil we face right now, no matter the chaos that we may find ourselves in, we know that peace awaits us. You may have seen this movie by Mel Gibson. He starred in a movie called The Patriot. It was about the Revolutionary War. He was, drawn, he, he was not going to war. He was not going to fight in this battle. But he was drawn into war because they killed his son. Because of his love for family, it it pulled him into this war. He went into battle with the hope of facilitating peace and ending the war. That was his goal. He knew what he had to do. He had to defeat the enemy. He had to get them out of the country so they could have peace within the borders. You know what? You and I have peace because our champion, Jesus, has overcome the world and the world system. 
I have overcome, he says. Remember the words, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world? Jesus, our champion, is the great overcomer. Well, let's conclude with this thought here. The comfort patriots rest in. If you're always at war and never had hope of rest, life would be very wearying. But think of this. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Great passage of scripture for us to find hope and comfort in. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, be at rest. Be at comfort. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I love this part because it's talking to us. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Thank you. I was going to say, I feel like being like Hulk Hogan and going like this. I mean, let me say that. Let me read that again. And, I, if I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen. That was a little better. Yes, he's coming back. He's coming to take us home to be with him. You see, the patriot can enjoy a calm The calm that the patriot enjoys is this. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. In the heat of battle, the patriot does not need to be concerned or troubled. And when you don't have a troubled heart, what can you do? What you need to do. What your mission is. You can complete your mission. Without a troubled heart, it's very important And we have a calm heart because we believe in God and we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe in the work that he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. The calm, let not your heart be troubled. And then there's the certainty. And I I know that every soldier that goes into battle wishes this. They wish that they could be guaranteed coming home to be with their family. Unfortunately, as humans, that's not something that we can guarantee, but God guarantees it. That's the certainty that the patriot has. He's going home. The patriot of heaven will go home. As a patriot for God, you and I should long to go home. We should long to be in the presence of our Savior. Jesus promised, and I love this promise, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And what does he say? If I go, or since I'm going, I will come again and receive you to myself. And there we have the joy of Christ's coming. When Jesus comes back, he's going to receive us to himself. You know what we're talking about here? We're talking about the rapture of the church. Jesus says, I'm going to receive you to myself. He's not coming all the way back to the earth. Otherwise, there'd be no receiving, right? He's coming in the clouds. He's going to be in the clouds, and he's going to catch us up to be with him. That word rapturo 
In the Greek, it means, or I'm sorry, harpazio in the Greek, it's rapturo in the Latin. It means catch up. He's going to catch us up into the air. And he's going to take us home to be with him for all of eternity. We're going home to the place he's prepared for us. It's exciting, right, Friedman's, to, to buy a new house and all that that entails. Oh, we're going to, walking into the door the first time and seeing all that's yours. It's a great feeling. And then walking into the first time that you can actually put your head on the pillow, in the bed, in the bedroom, it's been set up and settled. It's even better. The thing is, when we go to heaven, it's all been prepared. There's no settling in. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Gertrude is there. Place has been prepared. We've said it before. This is what allows you and I to have joy, to know where we're going, to know where we're going to spend all of eternity. We already read 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 57, but would you stand with me and read just two verses? It's important for us to understand the joy that is ours as we read together what awaits us. And read it with some emotion, read it with some fervor, read it like you're looking forward to it happening. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. You may have a seat. You and I will be changed. It's not a question. It's not a possibility. It's not an option. In fact, it's a done deal. We will be changed because of what God said and what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. So as we wrap things up this morning, we started by talking about Patriot Day. It's one of the newest holidays that we as Americans observe. It's a very important holiday. It's a, it's a holiday that we need to teach our children about. Somebody told me just yesterday, I don't think they even teach it in school yet. Why not? 20 years ago, it's history, it should be taught. As parents, as grandparents, you need to teach your children about the glorious history of America. Because from what I'm hearing, that's not being taught in schools very much anymore. It's important to teach that. But let us also remember something far greater. That as followers of Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven Our country of love, our origin is the God who made this great country. By definition, let me remind you, a a patriot is a person who loves and supports and defends his or her country and its interests with devotion and with passion. Can we defend heaven and the God of heaven and this champion of heaven with great devotion and great passion. As an American, I'm a patriot. I love my country. But more importantly, as a follower of Jesus, 
I am a citizen of heaven, and I should love my God more than I love my earthly home. My love for him should call me to serve him. My love for him should cause me to be faithful and loyal to him like a patriot is to his country. No matter what the cost, the patriot fights on. We can be both a patriot of the United States of America and a patriot of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus. But can we pledge this morning to never forget that Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first. There are pictures and there are memories and memorials that help us keep the pledge we made on 912 that we will never forget. Here are some of them. Just go ahead, Ben, click through them. Let them stay up there just for a few seconds. Remember these things that we say we will never forget. Iconic pictures, things that almost are burned into our memories. We don't forget them. I I love that picture of George Bush. I I respect the way he responded when he was told what happened. Wow, what calm, what resolve. But then, I don't know if it was the very next day or not, he said, those people who knocked down these buildings will hear us. We shouldn't forget that incredible resolve that we had on that day. Those words. He was a patriot. But you know what? He was a patriot of Jesus as well. Sorry. Can we say, let's roll for the gospel? Let's roll for the cause of Christ? Those are some reminders of Patriot Day. Here's some reminders as followers of Christ that should compel us to represent the God of heaven as passionately as we represent our great country. Jesus said, I will build my church. I just get to be an instrument, a tool that he can use in that process. How did he do it? Started with the cross, but it was guaranteed by the empty tomb. And then he went, he returned home. The champion, the patriot, returned back to heaven. I couldn't find anything that I liked to depict the rapture. Heaven, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you and I will be caught up out of this world and brought into the very presence of our great God. Those things should compel us to never forget where our home is and where we are headed. Our great God in heaven, we thank you so much for calling us to be part of your family, for doing all that was necessary to secure for us eternity in heaven, entrance into your family. Oh, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be part of the family of God. But by your great grace and by your amazing mercy, You made it possible through the sending of your son to this earth to die in our place that we might be redeemed, that we might be grafted into your family, that we might become the children of God. And for that, we say thank you. We express our gratitude to you for all that you have done and all that you continue to do. 
We pray this morning that we may continue to live life passionately devoted to the cause of Jesus Christ. Loving you, serving you, being faithful to your call in our lives. This morning we remind ourselves the words of that song, to God be the glory, great things he hath done. You've done great things in our lives and we are grateful for them. This morning we tell you we love you and we want to live for you by your grace and by your help and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.